Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So, Ann, I am so excited that we are finally having your friend Jeff Slater on. Um, I don't know if you remember, but Back in the day when you were at Nomacork here in Raleigh or in the Raleigh area, you were talking about a couple of people that you worked with there. I knew one of them and I didn't know Jeff. And from the minute you started describing him, I was like, I want to meet this guy. Like he just sounds like such a great guy. And I feel like even though Jeff and I both live in Raleigh, we have not met face to face (laughs) today on Zoom is the first time we're seeing each other face to face. (laughs) I do really feel like I've gotten to know him, you know? through LinkedIn and through his generosity of sharing our posts on our podcast. And I'm just so excited that he's here with us today. Awesome. Well, I think generosity is exactly the right word. I too am so excited. Jeff Slater is joining us today. Jeff and I worked together, we're not going to say how many years ago, but a lot. And I just have this distinct memory. This will tell you how long ago it was. Mad Men was... uh, (laughs) was, Jeff's laughing, um, was popular at the time. And I actually think, Jeff, you might've introduced me to the show. I don't know if I'd been watching it and you said, oh, Anne, I think you'd really like this. And then it'd be, what was it on Sunday nights or something? I can't remember. We would come in the next day and we would compare notes and what about this? And what about that? And I just have such fond memories of sitting around the office at Noma Court comparing notes about Mad Men. So <laughs> Jeff is creative and fun and funny, and he's just an unbelievably amazing storyteller. Um, I just, if you haven't been able to see his LinkedIn or his blog posts, you know, we'll put it all in the show notes so you can find it, but really just such an amazing way to connect dots that other people may not be seeing. But beyond that, Jeff is sort of a connector extraordinaire as well. And you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jeff, but it sort of strikes me that y- you get so much joy out of connecting people and finding the things and the people that might have a, a connection and a little spark. And I just have always so much appreciated that about you. So Jeff, now um, we worked together, as I said, uh, just a few years ago, uh, but now Jeff runs the Marketing Sage, which is a marketing consultancy focused on helping people to unravel the mysteries of marketing. So we're definitely going to get into that a little bit later. But Jeff, you've also had quite an interesting life and journey. And so I'd love to just ask you to kind of introduce yourself and give us a little bit of insight into that journey, where you grew up, how you've gotten to where you are now, any any little tidbits you can share with us. Well, it's a pleasure to join you. As you both know, I've been listening to the show right from the beginning and Which we so appreciate and <laughs> and have loved 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 hearing the conversations and other people's stories i usually take the pot out with me for a walk and it always feels like uh, my friend ann is right there with me and now my new friend sherry too so i appreciate the offer to be on the show and to talk to you you know it's funny when you were talking about me as a big networker connector etc The thing that came to mind was my mother always, my 95-year-old mother, B, always tells the story that if her mother, Fanny, was in a swimming pool, by the time she got out, 
she would know the stories of every single person <laughs> who was in the swimming pool. Um, but, you know, being a connector is a part of my journey and a part of my story. But, you know, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about childhood. And when I was 14 years old, my grandfather, maternal grandfather, George, put a camera in my hand and with me mm. built a dark room in my uh, basement so that we could work together and take pictures. Now, my grandfather, George wow. Ginsburg, was an orphan, came from Russia at 10 years old by himself to live with an uncle wow. who was a photographer in Newark, New Jersey. And so the stories that my grandfather would tell just fill me with so much joy. But there was this realization that when I was 14, my grandfather was my current age of 68. And it shocked mm -hmm. me when I thought that there was this unbelievable moment in my life of becoming introduced to photography at that age. And we used to take pictures of kids at summer camps or high school sports or different things and develop them and sell the pictures together. And I knew that I only wanted to be a photographer after seeing a photograph developed that way. But the part of that childhood story, besides the deep relationship with my grandfather, was that in a one thousandth of a second, you could take a picture and it could last and bring emotion through a lifetime mm. for somebody. I mean, how many of our photographs do we have? And they only took one hundredth to one two fiftieth, one thousandth of a second to be taken, yet they have this long term endurance. Mm. And so it got me fascinated with thinking about moments and not living in the moments because I don't think I was that mindful at the time. Mm -hmm. But shortly thereafter, I took my first transcendental meditation class. I remember it was in Morristown, New Jersey, wow. I think at a high school. And I went with a bunch of my friends. I think it was more of a lark than anything really serious. But there was something about it that triggered in me being in the moment yeah. and starting wow. to connect and intersect those lines. I've been meditating for 50 plus years, so it stayed with me. And although I you know, don't think of myself as a photographer, I think it was the creative spark in my life as a child and something that endures to this very day. You know, your your comment on the photography and creating moments and then thinking about Anne's comment on you're such an amazing storyteller, there just seems to be that, I don't know if through line's the right word, but this connection between learning at the very young age of 14 to really notice details and that's part of what makes somebody such a great storyteller, you know? So yes, you don't work with images anymore. You work with words, but I can see the connection there from that very early experience. Yeah, there's a very clear through line because from being a photographer for a decade, decade and a half, doing that commercially up until the time when I met my future wife. And together, we built a business that she had started called Rachel's Brownies. It was a wholesale bakery business in Philadelphia out of a home kitchen. And I started working with her and helping her 
And I was still doing my commercial photography, but it was something we worked on together. And neither of us really had any interest in business. And we were we didn't see it as a startup or anything like that. <laughs> it was just part of a, a fun process. And I think it was just that sort of thread of creativity that led me because, you know, while I was also in college, I worked in restaurants and I started becoming just fascinated with cooking. And I, I read Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child oh, from wow. cover to cover. And <laughs> it was and remains my Bible. But what's so interesting is when I got, as I got older and we had, we got married and had kids and I couldn't do photography, I didn't have a dark room. The kitchen became that creative place. And I was the main cook in the house. I would do all of the <laughs> cooking. And I just had a passion around cooking. But it was this, I think it was this sort of creative thread that ran mm -hmm. from my grandfather and photography and the baking business and then being in the kitchen and cooking. And there was something both about the moment, but also about nurturing. Mm. And that nurturing, you know how things come full circle. My younger daughter, Fanny, who has been on Cooking Channel and uh, the Food Network and won Rachel Ray's Great American Cooking Competition and had her cookbook published uh, over Father's Day this weekend. She came home and cooked for me. And I was saying to my wife, you know, this food is so nurturing. It's so mm. unbelievable. And Rael... Like that's the name she goes by now, said, well, where do you think she got this? Where do you think that came from? <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful thought. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's, it's almost baked into your DNA, right? You told the story about your grandmother who could make friends with everybody in the pool. And you've written on your blog about your mom. And we definitely are going to want to hear a little bit more about your mom. Um, but it sounds like you know, your mom is just the go for it person. And you know what's the worst that could happen? Like, go for it. You never know, person. And your grandfather brought you this creativity. And there's this entrepreneurial spirit in your family, you know, again, with your grandfather starting a commercial photography business. It's like a hundred years ago, right? A hundred years ago, and it's still in business today. But Sherry, you said the magic words. You never know. There's a little mm. story I'll tell you about that. When about eight years ago, my mom was watching Rachel Ray and Rachel Ray said, <laughs> we're having this competition. And my mother at the time sent a text to Fanny and said, Fanny, you don't have to be a professional chef to enter. Why don't you see if you can get on the show? You never know. Mm. Well, and of course, you know, my, we were able to bring my mom to the show when Fanny won. And it was wow. just the most crazy experience. But this expression of you never know, you know, has I think it's stayed with me. And in many ways, I am not like my mother. My mother is one who will go out and when my brother who was friends with Steve Van Zandt from Bruce Springsteen's band, invited her to come out on stage and to go to a concert. Or when my brother said, hey, mom, there's this J-Date, it's Jewish dating service, and they want some yentas, you know, older <laughs> Jewish women to be in the interested. And I said, Mitchell, mom, mom is never, and of course, my mother was just champing at the bit to be part of it. So you know, there's, there's sort of an energy of just go for it. 
Um, right. She was on a billboard, right? She was on billboards in Times Square. I oh, mean, my it gosh. Just, <laughs> it's just, and of course, like everything, there's a blog about that, too. Um, <laughs> so, but Jeff, when you say you're different from her and that she would go out on stage with Bruce Springsteen or be on a billboard in, in Times Square, how do you see yourself as different from her? You know, I think I'm a... I'm just somebody who is more of a homebody mm. and somebody who is not looking to be out in the public. And there's something, I think it's a bit of the DNA from my grandfather, who was the kind of person that anybody who ever met him would always remember to this day. I mean, my grandfather as I said, came over to the U.S. penniless. Mm. Yet there was a New York Times obituary about him when he passed at 97 because he was called the penny philanthropist. Mm. He would pick up coins and then every week he would write a check for a dollar or two to a different charity. Wow. I mean, what an amazing thing. Yeah. And so I just think there was a, there's always been something different I think my brother is a lot more like my mother, and I think my sister and I are a lot more like my father. You know, my father was the wise person who, when we had our bakery business and it was becoming very successful and we were getting national publicity, one day we're sitting in the backyard and the phone rings and I pick up the phone and this person says, this is, I forget the person's name at the time. Uh, from the White House, and President Reagan is coming to speak at the corporate center where your bakery is located, and we'd like your wife to sit on the dais with the president and for you to have lunch with the president. And, you know, my first response was, who is this? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> come, come on. And so I said, I'll have to call you back. So I called my dad, and I said, Dad, if this is real, you know we are lifelong bleeding heart liberals. All right. Ronald Reagan is not the first person I really want to sit and have lunch with. <laughs> and, my, and my father in his wisdom said to me, Jeff, you're a wonderful boy. You're running a nice business, but you are never going to get a chance to have lunch with the president of the United States again. Don't miss this opportunity. And boy, was he right. Wow. And so, you know, there was a, you never know, just sort of go for it kind of a, a feeling about it that I think I carried through, you know, goes without saying, I'm just very fortunate to have such loving parents and a loving family mm. surrounding me. You know, I had an aunt who brings me to tears thinking about her. She, um, she just, uh, she was always there in support and in love to help me. And to yeah. teach me and, yeah. you know, to expose me to those things like opera. And she was the one who gave me that Julia Child's cookbook. Mm. Um, and so, you know, just sort of connecting, connecting it all. Just uh, my family always kids. I can't make speeches because I'm the first <laughs> to tears. <laughs> <laughs> when I get up to speak at some family event, everyone's handing out the tissues. Um, but you know, I kind of, I kind of wear that proudly. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like your aunt, I mean, what a special thing. It sounds like she really saw you, you know, giving a young kid from, and I'm sorry, New Jersey. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. A young kid from New Jersey, the art of French cooking is a pretty, like she had to have seen something in you that was pretty special. And so what I hear you saying when she exposed you to the opera and you got to do these things and she was so supportive, what I really am hearing is she saw that uniqueness. I think so often when we're kids, we kind of like get shuffled to school or shuffled to, you know, church or synagogue or wherever. And we're sort of part of a collective or a group and you kind of do things this way. And, and what I'm hearing is that she really saw you as a, as a unique individual. Mm. She saw each of us that way, my mm. brother and my sister and I. I mean, we'll all tell stories that are very similar, but she and I would sit in watercolor on the weekends together. But then on a Saturday night, we would sit and she would introduce me to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> she didn't That's want amazing. me to miss, you know, the range of life. And so, you know, I start each day in gratitude. That's it's amazing. an important, important part of my life yeah. because I know how lucky and privileged I am. Yeah. And so it sounds like you had a super supportive family. You had some early success, uh, both in your marriage and in Ryle's business. But I'm sure there's been moments too where there's been, you know, sort of the ups and the downs. And so I'm wondering if there's parts of your journey that we haven't heard about yet that you would want to share. Yeah. I mean, I always expected that I would be a commercial photographer and that would be the career. Mm. And I would just be focused on photography and have nothing to really do with business and nothing to do with, you know, I just wanted to go take pictures because I really am someone who notices things mm. and who spends a lot of my energy thinking in terms of what's missing, what's counterintuitive, what can I see that nobody else might see? And so when we started the business and then we got thrown into this business world, it was really disruptive to, I think, the vision of what I, how I saw myself. Mm. And I think it required me to start learning how to let go of sort of expectations. Mm. Um, it was at that time in my early 30s that I became really interested in the Tao Te Ching and in Buddhism mm. and just other Eastern philosophies and thinking you know, I was fortunate at college to take a lot of classes in philosophy and Islamic art and, you know, just the culture of China and things I knew nothing about, but started to get connected into a larger way. And so I think it was sort of a, on the one hand, it was a bit of a disappointment not to become a photographer, but then it was a realization that I could carry through my life this creative thread. And it was the creativity and the curiosity and the sort of compassionate way to be, to say these details of what I did for work or how I spent my day from a career perspective really weren't what was important. What was important was, could I be noticing things? Could I be empathic? Could I be loving? Could I be supportive in a way that I need to show up in the world? 
And so this idea of a career trajectory just shifted and it no longer became a sort of an end goal. It was truly about how do I want to live this coming day? How do I want to be in this moment? What is there that I want to see or feel or experience? And how can I just let go of all of the trappings of what I expected my life to be or to look forward? And yet, how could I just find a way of being present and being the husband, the father, the son, you know, the friend that I could be? to others and just assume the rest is going to figure itself out. Yeah. You know, I think it was this idea of control Mm. and letting go of trying to control it and saying, the harder I hold on to something, the less I have any control over it. And in listening over and over to the Tao Te Ching and this idea of instead of being rigid and breaking, how can I be like a willow and bend? Mm. That that just has always stuck with me. And even the experience of, you know, what is a good man? What is a bad man, but a good man's teacher is something that I've thought about a lot, particularly in the business world, where I'll run into somebody who's just so miserable or so difficult. And, you know, and I Think back about something you told me, Anne, once. How about just assume good intentions? Mm. How about just know that if they were wearing a placard with their life story, there might be something you don't know. Yeah. Those are some pretty beautiful words of wisdom, Anne. Those are, yeah, good words. I I was writing them down because I don't remember saying them. So, right. Right. (laughs) I remember you saying them very clearly. Oh, thank you. Too. And I remember repeating them often to people, you know, when in our immediate reaction to want to get angry at somebody, you know, what is the story you don't know about them? Yeah. And if they were to wear it on their chest and you could read it, how would you deal with them differently? You know, I'm really struck, Jeff, by listening to your story. And if somebody wrote up your story... And then said, okay, take your best guess as to what profession this person has been really successful in. My guess is most people would not say, oh, yeah, this this person's an incredibly successful marketing professional and has worked on some of the biggest brands in the food industry. And because this isn't often how we hear people immersed in business talk. That's right. Right? About how do I approach every day with compassion? How do I just notice the details and let go of the way it's supposed to be? And I'm curious, and I don't know if you'll have an answer to this or not, but I'm really curious. I almost want to say how you have been able to stay this exact same person, not saying you haven't evolved and changed over the years, but how the core of you has stayed so intact. And that's been you and your wife ultimately running, as you said, a very successful brownie business and selling it and then working for some really big brands. And I'm just, I'm really curious how, how you have held on to that part of you. You know, I think that starting each day in silence and in meditation, and I'm 
you know, talking 10 minutes, 15 minutes, br practicing breathing, trying to be mindful of the blessings in my life, not trying so hard. You know, I, <laughs> I tend to want to control things which means I need to learn how to stop controlling things. So I think the consistency is, um, you know, I've just, I just feel so privileged and have had so much that just being in gratitude, you know, I think gratitude and silence are two very underappreciated life lessons and skills. You know, when I'm quiet, I feel like I can work through things that are complicated and difficult. And when I'm in gratitude and thinking just about all of the joy and all of the goodness, God, who wouldn't want to change places with me? Oh, I, Jeff, I mean, I don't know if you know how big of a statement that is, because I think a lot of, a lot of people don't have that sort of sense of appreciation and gratitude for where they've been and I do think it's uh, it's one of the tragedies of our current modern day that through social media and other things, people are always wanting something else. And can we go grab, you know, that looks more interesting or somebody's having a better life or whatever. And what you just said about, you know, really this deep appreciation for where you've been and, and your life is amazing. And what a beautiful thing, not only for yourself, but for those around you as well. Well, I've had experiences in my life you know, my wife has had some very difficult traumatic experiences in her childhood and throughout adulthood. And the best way that I could help her turned out to be to just be with her and to listen, mm. not to talk and not to give her advice and not to try to give her, you know, I've learned are you asking my opinion or is this one of those? I'm, <laughs> I'm just listening. And ask yeah. that question, and I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten good at that. You know, she's the most courageous. She's the most unbelievable human being I've ever w experienced and witnessed. We'll be married forty five years this wow. September, which wow. you know I'm truly, truly blessed that we are have been will have been married forty five years. In fact, our wedding anniversary is September eleventh. Wow. A date that we owned that belonged to us yeah. well before the world uh, sort of had this horrific experience um, in 2001, but just immensely blessed. And, you know, my wife has had some extremely traumatic experiences in her childhood beyond, beyond the beyond, as she would say. Mm. And, all I can do is be a witness, is be supportive and loving. And I think it's a reminder each and every day of how can I be helpful to her? How can I take some of this grace and gratitude and love that's within me and, and share it? You know, we produce two spectacular daughters, um, each of whom in their own rights are just remarkable people. But, you know, if we do have two more hours in the podcast, I would like to talk to about Bo Bodie Kai, who is our grandson, who is three and a half, Aww. who knows everything about trucks, tractors, excavators. 
I mean, and what else is there to know? <laughs> I mean, my daughter, Sarah, has learned everything there is to know about skid steers and, <laughs> and <laughs> concrete trucks. And all. Um, That's fantastic. You know, I just say a prayer and blessing every day for them and uh, all that joy that's in my life. Right. You know, I'm really, really struck by how, as, as Anne said, how lucky, I'm going to use the word lucky, um, how lucky you are to have had such an extended loving family and to have felt so seen and been so seen. And you've talked so much about how much gratitude you have and how blessed you feel by your wife and having the two most amazing daughters. And I think it would be easy for somebody to be listening to this and think, whoa, you're very lucky. You've had this super easy life. And my guess is that that's not the case, that you've had some amazingly good things in your life, but you also have these things you've talked about that keep you very grounded, Mm. your way of moving through the world with gratitude and empathy. But I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about, yes, you've been incredibly blessed in your life, and it probably hasn't been a perfect life. You know, I don't think I judge my life in a scale from imperfect to perfect, mm-hmm. I think I really try and concentrate on this moment and and not to be thinking beyond that and trying to tell it as a story as opposed to live it as an experience. Because I can find, you know, I had in around the year 2003 or four the company that I sold our company to that got sold again, anyway, moved out of the area, was unemployed for the first time in my life. But this, you know, magnificent helper showed up at a, an outplacement office and, you know, Bob Stapleton, Yes, you met him and mm-hmm. he's a spectacular HR professional. And Bob just said, Jeff, you got this. I'll help you. And, you know, to have somebody show up at the right time when I needed somebody. And oh, I was so stressed and anxious and worried. I'd never had this kind of experience. But it just seems as if, um, was it uh, Mr. Rogers who said, look for the helpers? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. They just, they, you know, it just seems to happen. And I don't know, I guess the moments and the difficulties. Many of them, about a year and a half ago, we went through some very difficult experiences with our younger daughter, and I'll leave that for her to tell in her own way. And they were so difficult, but I knew that if I could be present and loving and just show up for her, that we could help her through those difficult times. Um, And she made it through and just doing gloriously. So I I think the life lesson has been not looking for things that I need or things that I want, but just how can I have experiences where I can ask the question, you know, how can I be helpful? Oh, I love that. How can I give back? You know, when I was a kid and working with my grandfather, he used to ask me at the end of each week, so who did you help this week? Oh my gosh, what a beautiful question. Who did you help this week? You know, and uh, 
I guess that's part of a just a sense of not obligation, but a responsibility to turn that back and to share that with people. And, you know, my father was that way. You know, I had a, my other grandfather was that way. So I think I've just, I got some good DNA. Yeah. Got very fortunate. You did. We've had some just amazing role models. And this might sound a little bit like a non sequitur. I don't think it is. Is you wrote a blog post, I don't know, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, about uh, the rabbi of the temple that you grew up in. And he had just passed away and it was this just beautiful tribute you wrote. And I really resonated because there were some similarities to the rabbi I grew up with. But you talked about he was America's most arrested rabbi. He was <laughs> very involved in civil rights. He marched with Dr. King. And I mean, this is also part of the water that you grew up in. And I'm curious how or if or in what ways having someone like that in your life also informed the person that you are. You know, I definitely was not wise enough or mature enough sitting, listening to Rabbi Dresner's sermons to understand any of it. I mean, I just could, I was too young. I don't think I had a political sense about it. But as I matured and grew and learned his history, marching with Dr. King, being imprisoned in uh, Selma, you know, and the fight that he was on. Um, wow. You know, what a glorious teacher. Um, to be so fortunate to have someone like that. And I think um, it speaks to the idea that, you know, you don't necessarily have to hear the words, but you can feel the experience. Yeah. And I think I took it in. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, of course, that Maya Angelou quote that I love so much, you don't remember what people said or what they did, but how they made you feel. Yeah. Literally in my LinkedIn post for today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, really good timing. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that that really, Jeff, is so much of your own legacy that you leave with people that you have come in contact with, that you have worked with. You're getting emotional and a little teary about people in your life, but I'm sure if we lined up 10 people that have worked with you or been friends with you or been lucky enough to be related to you, um, they would say the exact same thing about you. And I cannot imagine a more beautiful legacy than having people say about you what you have just said about your rabbi and other people. Um, but I can tell you from my own personal experience, that is my experience of you, that I am lucky mm -hmm. I am a better person to have known you and to have had you in my life. It's so kind. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say that. Mm. And and I of you. And, mm. and and soon in person with Sherry. Exactly. We're going hike, I, hiking ain't meant for coffee. Oh, <laughs> uh, that sounds good. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm yeah. so glad I met Anne, because if I hadn't met Anne, I wouldn't have met Jeff. And it's so, a love fest today. I know, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, just to say one last thing about emotion and, and tears. I've always been 
someone who was never able to hold back those tears and um, fortunately didn't have anybody telling me that, you know, men don't cry Mm. and any of that kind of crap that people pretend, you know, this idea of what it's like to be a man. Uh, I, I, I just feel as a feeling sentient being, that's part of me being alive. It's who I am. And I so strongly hate to see that sort of opposite type of personality, but you know, others have a different journey and have a different reason and role. And so I don't challenge or question it. It's just, I feel like it's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's sort of, just to pull the veil back for our listeners on a little bit of how we prep our guests, we had sent you some questions and you had sent some thoughts back. And and one of the things you talked about is, you didn't say these words exactly, but what I wrote down is diversity. And so I'm really curious what role diversity has played in your life. And you just gave us a really, really good example that a lot of at least American culture is, you know, dudes don't cry and you have to be strong and whatever. And so I think that's one great example. I'm wondering if there's other things in your life that you could talk about, about the role that diversity and inclusion has played. Mm. It's such an interesting question. I don't know that I kind of see the world and people through a diversity lens. Mm -hmm. At least I've tried not to do that. (sighs) I don't don't know how to answer that question because I don't think that I see as much as I feel the energy of people that I come into contact with and it's their energy and their presence that I notice about them and the physical appearance or the, I don't know, I guess I never thought, I don't think in those terms, Mm. you know, older generations particularly in, you know, in my family generations back where there were certain levels of prejudice or certain types of language that they would use. Even words like, for example, the word Gentile, which is a non-Jew, is an offensive term to me. And yet people use it freely. It's not a slur word, but there's something about wanting to separate and group people Mm. into buckets it just doesn't feel right to me. And I, I'm sure I have my prejudices like everybody else. I don't profess to have any sensibilities that's different. But I just, I guess I try, haven't really given much thought to diversity in sort of that kind of, you know, sort of linear approach. I do think of people as being, you know, loving and kind. And then those people who are, in process, you know, <laughs> I might use other words to describe <laughs> them, um, but they're sort of in their process or they have burdens that I just don't see or understand. Yeah. So I, maybe not a great answer, but I don't think about the world that way. I don't try and see ethnicity or sexual identity or ableness or, or, or people. I just don't, I don't know. I don't like the idea of segmenting the world that way. Yet, as a marketer, I am constantly thinking about segmentation Mm. and markets and Mm. how you think about people and 
their needs and how you sell and market to them and that sort of thing. So I don't know if it's in revolt to that or if it's just how else can I think about it? Yeah. Well, what I love about what you just said about segmenting, you know, some marketers might think you would have to segment in by race or gender or, you know, many other things. But the beautiful part about your statement, which by the way, was an amazing answer to my question, is that you're more focused on energy and uh, your experience of somebody. And also you're very kind, you know, what I might say is, man, that guy's got a lot of work to do. You just said people in different places in their process. And so I, you know, I really think you may not have thought that was a great answer, but I think it's sort of right on the mark for exactly who you are. Mm. Well, I think it gets back to what I said before is I just don't know what that person's early day was like. That's right. Early life was like, and I'm just going to give them a pass and just move on because it's not important enough to get sucked into that vortex of negative energy. Well, you know, Jeff, you have had such amazing influences in your life and, and it sounds like some really great mentors as well. And I'm curious if you could go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self. So a little bit of self-mentoring, if you will, Mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you would give him? I think I would say, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's all going to be okay. (laughs) I love that. I'd also probably add, just learn to breathe through each moment and it's all going to be okay. Very cool. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I I think um, I speak for both Sherry and myself, as well as I'm sure everybody listening that your journey and your wisdom and um, just your deep, open hearted connection is just something incredibly beautiful. And I really, really thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking and listening and being with the two of you. It really, it really is a a great gift. And uh, I feel so blessed to have both of you in my life. Well, on that absolutely beautiful note, we will wrap up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. It really does make a difference. You can find info and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.